And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Just who the hell are you? He's James T. Kirk. Don't you read history? What did you say your name was? Captain Jean-Luc Picard of the USS Enterprise. Which one of you is the captain? Violate the treaty, Captain. Red alert! All hands, battle stations! This is Captain Kirk. Incorrect. Can we just get down to it, please? Prepare to attack. All hands, battle stations. Gardner and Chris Honeywell. Welcome to Star Trek Monthly Monday, number 40, The Next Generation, the 1701D edition. I am Chris Honeywell, and I'm here with Scott Gardner. Hello. Hello. <laughs> and we're here with another two episodes of Star Trek, the ne- next generation, two concurrent episodes <laughs> of Star Trek, the next generation. We're in the second season. Awesome. And, um, oh, geez, I don't know. Are you ready to, like, dive right into our first episode? Our first episode has a very porno-like title, Unnatural (laughs) Selection. (laughs) That ain't natural data. You have five selections of modes you can <laughs> hit me on for my fully operational. <laughs> I suggest the unnatural button. Next time on Star Trek, the next generation. Torpedoes ready, Commander. The crew destroys a vessel infested with a mysterious disease. They died of old age. Dr. Pulaski risks her life to find a cure. <gasps> Doctor, I want you back aboard this ship. Now... She's old before her time, and her time is running out. On Star Trek, the next generation. Oh, we are, we're, we're sort of synced up already with, uh, with the TOS edition of the show. Sort of, kind of, because that episode we reviewed this month around, it was um, uh, Gamesters of Triskelion, that 
debuted in January of uh, 1968. This episode... 50 Quatloos on the hammy actor. (laughs) Debuted the week of uh, January 30th, 1989. So 21 years later, we get this episode. And uh, here's the synopsis from the uh, Star Trek The Next Generation companion. We got uh, answering a distress call from the USS Lantry, the Enterprise... Uh, finds by visual scans that the supply ship's entire crew has died of old age. Hey, Mysterious hyper-aging has also hit the ship's last stopover, the Darwin Genetics Lab. I wonder if they have the Darwin Awards on the Darwin uh, <laughs> They do now. <laughs> they do now, yeah. Where the stricken staff Begs to have its genetically bred super children rescued. Save the uh, super children. <laughs> after assuring the Enterprise crew that children do not carry the disease, a skeptical Picard wants the children checked anyway because he's a prick. To avoid crew contamination, Data pilots a shuttle so that Dr. Pulaski can examine one of the children in isolation. But the youth, the Ute, and his siblings turn out to be infected. See, I told you. And the crew is shocked when Pulaski herself is quarantined at Darwin to help with the cure research. Picard is not willing to accept the loss of his chief medical officer. Uh, He pushes his people to modify the transporter biofilter to screen out the virus. No, they don't. No, they do not. That is not how this episode resolves at all. Oh, that's bullshit. That's complete and utter horseshit. Another right, synopsis anyway. fail. Oh, that's a big old synopsis fail, because that is not how they resolve it with this. Anyway, it says a hair sample finally provides the necessary pre-infection DNA, and the doctor and the lab staff are eventually cured. Sadly, the fate of the Darwin Ute uh, cannot be so easily reversed, and because of the health threat, the super children must be isolated forever <laughs> and one, one last gesture the enterprise returns to the landly uh landry yeah landly landry the tom landry whatever it is and solemnly atomizes the plague ship with full starfleet ceremony uh, which is actually kind of cool i kind of like yes. that scene that was actually uh interesting they all stand very up very interesting so what do you think of this one well, I thought this was a good one, and in, in as it was a sort of Picard and Pulaski bonding episode. Yes. I thought yes. I thought the scene, you know, I mean, it was it was sort of uh, foreshadowing into the future, but I thought it was really stupid where Picard calls in Troy and is just like, "I think this Pulaski may just be too passionate about her." Shut up, you <laughs> asshole! <laughs> Jesus Christ! I don't know. I think she's doing her job too well, and she enjoys it too. It's just like, are you bored? What's wrong with you? You know, I, I maybe I, I was sort of thinking maybe it was they were doing that to maybe he, you know, he kind of was passively aggressively wanting Beverly Crusher back, you know, because, you know, he likes his Crusher back ribs. Yeah, baby. And was, and was like sort of being passively aggressively hostile to Pulaski or, or something, like that. But I think he's sexually confused myself. I'm just gonna go ahead well, and just, say just it, in right? general and just in general. But yeah. <laughs> but 
Yeah, it's just, it, 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 that that scene didn't. I, I was just like, "What? Oh, really? That's your concern? Wow, you—that's first-world problems, there, Picard. Jeez, that's that's a tough one, you know." I think it's a big old case of the pot calling the kettle black. This well, asshole that's what, that's... is gonna is gonna say something about somebody <laughs> being obsessive. Yeah, well, really? That's, well, that's what Troy's role is, and this is to point that out to both of them that they're both, you know, very, very similar, but. I mean, they really Pulaski really McCoys it up in this episode. They really yes, start start pushing the McCoy. You know, she's she's grumpy and and headstrong and doesn't like the transporter. Mm-hmm. You know, it's 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 straight up. They're they're working. Okay, let's get these characters dynamics working together. And mm-hmm. uh, you know, the story is just sort of there to to. You know, prop it all up. I would. I. I. I thought the Darwin children would be like good villains for a potential future <laughs> Star Trek movie. You know, like Khan Super right. Soldiers, being right. a little pissed off that all of a sudden they have to. You know, they all these these kids are like superhuman and like ready to go out and explore and expand their mind. And it's like, no, sorry, here you are on. Uh, you you playing three D chess for the rest of your life. I'm sorry, I can't help it. I know it's very juvenile, but just just the term "the Darwin children" sounds like like a real insult, you know, like the special. I know kids, it, you know it's, I mean? it sounds the exact opposite of you, goddamn of, Darwin children, get out of my yard. <laughs> yeah, it's because of the Darwin Awards, but I mean, at this this was before the Darwin Awards when Darwin meant okay, they were more. <laughs> Jesus. All right. All right, man. Billy, the Darwin bus is here. Yeah. Frank, hi, Marge. Yeah, the Darwin kids are on my front yard again, and one of them's got his pants off. Yeah, I called their folks. They're not home again. No, yeah, he's just picking his nose. He's not doing anything. He's just got his pants off, and he's picking. I don't know. It's the Darwin kids. Come on. Yeah. No, this letters <laughs> letters <laughs> well these kids are the exact opposite these kids are like talking you know talking telepathically and and growing at a exp- I like how how um what you, you know Worf is the one who's like it's a trap and I'm thinking I don't know if Worf would know the difference too much between that size kid and a 12 year old you know that's to where he was instantly like destroy it but I like Should that. Had Admiral Akbar walk in and smack him and go, "That's my line." Yeah, you would know a trap if it smacked you right in the face. <laughs> Let me tell you about traps. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but I like, but War- but it's consistent because Worf is smelling a rat all through it. You can uh, there's always all these reaction shots of Worf whenever they're like doing anything, going, "No, don't do that! Don't do that!" And, uh, you know, of course, they do that, and then they shouldn't have done that. It was a generally... It's falling into that that category I have of just generally acceptable Star Trek episodes. It was fun to watch. It it would have been just a bland story if it wasn't for the development of uh, Pulaski in it. Because... Like you, I like her character. I like her. Yes. I like the other. Do- I like both doctors, but I, I Pulaski is just as 
acceptable a character. I I mean, I like her character, and I like her. I like that she's yeah. I I, I like just her general demeanor and and the 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 way the actress plays her. So I was enjoying that aspect of it, but it wasn't a really scintillating episode. You know what I'm saying? Once again, light on the light on the Wesley. So can't beat that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I always that's what I always note nowadays when it gets to the end of the episode and it's just another shot of Wesley on the bridge I'm like oh Scott's going to be very pleased with this <laughs> <laughs> you know what's funny is uh, I was talking to uh, Andy Leyland the other day and I mentioned to him that that you know I had just watched this in preparation for us doing this show and he was like, "Oh guy, that one sucks and everything." And it's funny cuz I had just rewatched it. If I hadn't just rewatched it, I would have totally agreed with him because that I didn't remember anything about this episode other than the fact that I thought it sucked. And then I rewatched it and I'm like, "Oh, this is the one where she gets old. This, this is like this is the next is another, equivalent of the of, deadly years." Right, you know? which is another McCoy touches, you know, you get to see her age and get crotchety like McCoy did in there. He was the most fun one to watch age too in in that one. Mhm. And so you know, I really went into this thinking this this is going to really suck. And it doesn't. I really ended up enjoying this one a whole lot. I, I think this was a really solid episode. I mean, it's you know, is it the most exciting thing ever? No. I mean, it, it, it moves a little slow, but I didn't think it was it was badly done or um, or you know or boring or or anything like. I actually got quite the kick out of it. I, I thought it was a, a really you know well written episode. I I, I think. Star Trek The Next Generation in general is that. I think, like, the, the writing on Star Trek The Next Generation, the I, I think everything about Star Trek The Next Generation was more consistent than the original series, you know, in general. You know, mm -hmm. there's always going to be your clunkers, and they put out a lot more Next Generation, so there's a lot more clunkers, but not as many out-and-out -out train crashes, you know. there's There's not that much of that. So... There's almost like this consistent, you know, just your good, like, prototype Star Trek Next Generation show. And this is firmly in the – and this is in the upper end of those because it has good characterization and – which is, you know, really like um, – well, if, if, if you haven't listened to the original series episode, you should listen to it. And when you listen to it, you'll hear – we were talking about one element of Star Trek being the, the – optimistic future and another is is the way the characters um react to each other and this is this takes a good step into building up the relationship between her and and picard and and that it, to, that to me is enough to keep me engaged in a star trek story if it's working and it works really well in here there you know there I, I i like that you know there's there's character conflict but it's on a different level than other. Both characters are are aware they're in conflict, and in the course of the forty minutes, they they work it out, you know, in, right? In in the Star Trek way, 
you know, Star Trek, especially the Star Trek The Next Generation way. So I, I like it. I, I And, uh, yeah, it was, um, like I said, nothing, nothing, it's not going to be in my list of favorite episodes. No. But uh, I would definitely watch it again. I only had just, just a couple really just very sparse notes on this one. One of them was just a lot of fun. They they call into a conference, and I see this becoming something of a growing trend. Right. In Next Gen at this point, now that Worf has been promoted to chief security officer, this this keeps happening where either he will solicit an idea to you know either Riker or Picard or both, you know, like a you know, an enemy ship shows up and he'll say, well, I think we should blast the hell out of him, you know, and they're like, oh, you know, calm down, Worf, you know, we're, we're going to talk to him for a half an hour first. Or in this case, Picard actually, at the meeting, actually solicits Worf's opinion. Right. Thinks about it for a second, goes, nah, I'm not going to do that. They do that shit a lot. And this is the first time where right after Picard makes his decision, and then he says the word proceed, basically meaning proceed with ignoring Worf's suggestion. <laughs> right. Look for the look on Worf's face. Look, to, Worf just has this look on his face like... Someone who put a space turd under his nose. <laughs> he just, he, you can tell. I mean, he makes no qualms about the fact that he's getting a little irritated with this shit. <laughs> it's, it's actually pretty funny. Yep. Um... Chief O'Brien is actually called Chief O'Brien in this episode. And I think that's the first time that he was actually called Chief O'Brien. Well, I, I noticed, I don't know if I haven't been paying attention, but I noticed, uh, what's his name? Cole Meany's name uh-huh. was, was fairly prominent in the credits this time. Yeah. So, yeah, maybe they were picking up on the uh, the appeal of, of uh, that actor. I like him a lot. Yeah. I really do. He he was one of the uh, one of the very few bright spots in um in Deep Space Nine, I, I like both Cole Meany, the actor, and I like the uh, the role that he played. Well, that, as, uh, I like as that Chief he was O'Brien. a background character that just in Star Trek that made his way into actually becoming a recurring character in the next generation, right. and then even getting to like you know be in, in some of the other series. So that's that's yeah. really cool. You know, I mean, does he event he eventually gets like a family in next generation yeah. by the end of yeah, it. Yeah, he does. You know, so th- yeah, he ends up marrying um, uh, Keiko, who is mm-hmm. sort of an on again, off again character. Um, but overall, I mean, I, I really don't have any other specific notes beyond the fact of, again, I, I think it's a really good episode. I really enjoyed it. I was pleasantly surprised because I went into this one as soon as I realized what this one was, and again, I only remember the broad strokes. I remember that she caught the disease where she was aging really fast, and right. I just didn't remember liking it. I remember thinking, ah, this is a shit episode. And it's not. It's actually really intelligently written, and, and I enjoyed it a lot. Um, I don't think I've the, seen this episode or the ne- or the other episode we're going to do before. I think this was my first time for both of them. I can't really? be sure. Well, I was in a haze through the whole 90s, so, you know, I mean... I would come There's home from work and watch Star Trek, so I may have watched them, but I don't recall seeing either of these. The, the next one we do, I definitely would have remembered if I'd seen that one. There are, you know, there are clearly episodes I'm going to remember better than others, you know, because I've I've watched them more often than others. This is one of those ones where I may have only ever seen it one other time for you know for all I can remember. 
Whereas like the next one is, you know, it, it's right up there on my list of, you know, top episodes. Um, my only other big thought walking away from this episode is, uh, I, I don't know that this thought ever comes up again, but you know, with the, with the dynamic in this episode, I actually started to realize, you know, I wouldn't have minded if, if Pulaski and Picard had, had ended up, you know, f- having some sort of a relationship, you know, had en- ended up, ended up actually hooking up. You know what I mean? I could see it. I could see it. I couldn't have until this episode, but some of the the scenes between the two of them in the in the way icky. it's kind of like Kirk and McCoy hooking up, you know. Uh... <laughs> but yeah, uh, I, no, when you I put could... it that way, no, I take it all back. <laughs> I, I I could see that, you know. They were about they they seem to be about about the same age and right. Yeah. Well, I like the part where where Picard starts to change in his opinion of her when he finds out that she's actually been kind of obsessed with him for a long time. I thought that was an interesting twist to the Doctor's character because well, up it also now, it, uh, it also showed a little bit of Picard's vanity too. You know, a little bit of vanity, oh, yeah. which usually. Would be something he might have, but not admit. But he was sort of like, oh, mm-hmm. okay. Well, I like it too that you know it, it provided a little bit of motivation for her character because up till now, I mean, I I had just assumed that she got you know that she pursued and and scored this job because you know come on, let's face it, the Enterprise is the place to be. It's right. the flagship of the fleet. You know, it's a chance to practice, you know, frontier medicine and, you know, forge new frontiers and, you know, all that sort of thing. So I just assumed it was that. And here you're seeing that, no, you know, it may actually be because, you know, she's got the hot pants for for Jean-Luc Picard. Well, there was was a lot of that, that sort of like somebody who's respected someone from afar because that's the treatment she gets when she goes to the Darwin colony. They're like... Wait, you're that doctor who did that? Well, come on over. That was a great book you wrote. Remember, they 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 start like quoting your book, and and Picard's just so like, oh, you know, you, you notice he's that's another step towards him taking her a little more seriously, right? Is that there were people who were actually like, oh, you know, she's kind of ce- a celebrity in the egghead community, you know. <laughs> but where does that get you? <laughs> Prematurely <laughs> aged. Oh, <laughs> uh, you know. Now that I think of it, though, real quick, um, we do end up seeing that idea of the of the super children again. Both kind of, sort of, in this series, kind of, sort of, a little bit in um, in Deep Space Nine. Although I, I'm struggling to remember the exact specifics of that. See, it comes up later on in Trek that the the whole idea of genetic engineering and all that is a real no-no concept for them largely because still you know the 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 reverberations of the whole con thing are still being felt all these years later and there's still that negative well, connotation the, that stigma you the know Dar- darwin children sort of back that up you know where you, yep. where you know by fixing you know by fixing something they screwed something you know by making these super children they've also made them toxic to every you know right which in an evolutionary way is almost a good a good thing for the super children because it sort of clears away for them <laughs> you know 
If I remember properly, I think it ends up being revealed late in the run of uh, of DS9 that Dr. Bashir was some sort of genetically engineered super child type of thing. Uh And then there was a whole thing that was tied in very heavily with Khan um, in Enterprise that panned out, I thought, very nicely. I thought it was very intelligently written that it was sort of a sequel slash prequel to uh you know Khan and Rathacon and all that and it actually they tied it into finally after all these years having an, an actual scientific explanation for why you had smooth and crunchy Klingons. Which I think you know, it was kind of an interesting idea. So we'll we'll eventually get there if we live to be, you know, hundred and three. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> um so are we ready for the next one? I think we are. I say we take a, a short break and come sure. back with an awesome episode of Star Trek. Hey everyone, faithful friend and acolyte of the two true freaks and gallant co-host of the Vault of Starling Monster Horror Tales of Terror, Hair Metal Hero here. Are you like me? Well, obviously you aren't as awesome as me in my mellifluous singing voice, but that's forgivable. Moving on, do you like to attend cons? Of course you do. I mean, I don't. But that's only because if I want to be seriously depressed and grossed out, I just stand naked in front of a full-length mirror. Ladies, call me. But if you do attend cons, you know what the biggest downside is? No, it's not the registration line, or the mobs of people, or the insane markup on bootlegs of the Star Wars Holiday Special. It's the dreaded con funk. Yeah, that's right. It's that one-of-a-kind pungent aroma that smells like stale piss, rotten Doritos, and days upon days of mouth-breathing, eyeball-licking, basement-dwelling nerd B.O. Well, I'm here to tell you that help is on the way from none other than all the hard-working scientists here at DiManzo Corp Advanced Olfactory Labs, deep below the bowels of Milan, Italy. Dufo has graciously provided a sizable grant for scent research in the brave hope that one day he can finally attend a big show incognito of course without having to continuously retch and gasp and let me tell you folks this shit works what is it you ask why it's none other than con funk soap yes that's right con funk soap contains copious amounts of bleach rose petal extract and the dried up essence of the tears of the unborn that's where the power lies it's guaranteed to make the average congoer who smells like a flowering anus go from repugnant to tolerable. Just slather it on and let it soak in, rinse, and repeat. Don't forget to get your grundles and fupas some extra attention. Hey, no one is saying don't attend the cons, but now you don't have to smell like you do. That's Con Funk Soap, another fine product from DeMonzocorp. Con Funk Soap, it's the least you can do. DeMonzocorp of Milan, Italy takes no legal responsibility for allergic reaction to baby tears. Hello and welcome back to Star Trek Monthly Monday, the next generation edition. We're on to our second episode, and this one, well, yeah, it does have a good porno name as far as those go, like the last <laughs> one, but it is a damn fine, meaty, bloody slab of <laughs> delicious Star Trek called A Matter of Honor. Next time on Star Trek The Next Generation. 
been assigned to serve this ship and to obey your orders. Commander Riker joins the Klingons and is faced with a deadly decision. I intend to attack the Enterprise and destroy it. He must battle his own crew to survive. I order you to lower your shields and surrender. Prepare to attack! On Star Trek, the next generation. I think we should start a new thing on this show. I, I, I want to totally rip off the old Jay Ward cartoons, you know, the old uh, Rocky and Bullwinkle, uh-huh. where they would give you the name and then they would say, or, and they'd give you another name. Because for this one, I think it's a matter of honor, or space racism is alive and well in the 24th century. Because holy shit, are they a bunch of pretentious, racist assholes in this episode. Hey, but Scott, I like it. watch me pull a rabbit out of my pants. <laughs> <laughs> but that trick never works. <laughs> it does never work. <laughs> so this one aired the week of uh, February 6th, 1989. It says here, uh, in a new exchange program, Riker becomes the first Starfleet officer to serve aboard a Klingon vessel. He throws himself into the job, taking a crash crash course in uh, Klingon culture and cuisine from Worf. That's not entirely true either. Meanwhile, the same program brings the young Benzite Mendon aboard the Enterprise, but a cultural difference nearly destroys the ship when he lags in reporting the presence of hull-eating bacteria. Aboard the Klingon cruiser Pog, Riker uses Worf's lessons to gain respect from his new captain and subordinates. Again, with the Worf thing, I don't, I don't remember that. I mean, I remember him giving him like a little pep talk, but did he really like teach him anything? I, maybe I they're just assuming that he did, or maybe yeah, they read I, it in I, a book or something. <laughs> uh, says here he enjoys a hearty meal with the Pog crew and banter's with its women, but. The discovery of the bacteria on the Klingon ship leads its captain, Clag, to uh Clag. I thought Clag was Yeah, that's not right. Clag is the uh that's Brian Thompson's character, the uh the second officer. That's not the captain. Anyway, to brand Riker a traitor and order an attack on the Enterprise, Riker uses an uh, emergency transponder given to him by Worf to beam Clag off the bridge when he dismisses the Enterprise's warnings, making Riker captain long enough to demand the surrender of the Starfleet ship to preserve the Klingon's honor. Well, that ain't hard. I was but, just uh, going to we'll, say, We'll come yeah. back to that. Um, <laughs> a shrewd stu- a student of culture... Riker takes an uppercut from the returned Clag. God damn it, stop calling him that. I'm, I gotta look this up because I'm convinced that they're wrong on this. Um, from the returned Clag to let him regain his crew's respect. And Mendon makes amends by helping find a solution to the bacteria saving both ships. Uh, it's, it's a serviceable um, synopsis, but I think they're wrong on that. I'm, You know what? You go ahead and give your uh, give your points on this because I'm going to look that up. I believe they are completely wrong. I love this episode. I I've never seen this one. This one has shot into my all time favorite Star Trek episodes of all time, as as far as I'm concerned. This is this this is what Star Trek 
should be not not you know in an ultimate sort of way but man it's got the characters it does you know it does not mess around the it's got just a good plot device and you know they 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 get a lot done in the 43 minutes of the the episode but it's that perfect star star trek concept you know you got your concept it's you know um exchange students in space and and uh and like i i remember in the last episode i was saying yeah i haven't seen a lot of riker in this this season and and um like pulaski and picard got a little character development we get to see riker kirking out in this one he's he's doing the full kirk you know he's Riker's got the lust for life, you know, he enjoys life, he enjoys new things, he enjoys learning things, and he's not squeamish, you know, about anything, so, you know, you have this just, he's, he's relishing the conflict, and the, you know, the, the challenge of, of fitting into the Klingon pecking order, which is potentially like Mirror Universe original Star Trek where it's potentially fatal by those behind you in rank. So he's gotta he's gotta come out with a big swinging set of brass balls and he does not fuck around. You know, I, I was expecting the scene where he was sitting down to dinner where he was gonna be choking it down you know, it was gonna be one of those like eating dog food scenes where it's like <laughs> you're watching you know, you're getting kinda choked up watching him choke it down. But this guy's getting into it, you know? He's like, he's actually, he's not just putting on the air, like, mm, that's good. He's like, okay. Is, oh, that's grosser, you know? I mean, he's just, he, he just understands, the, you know, what he has to do. And, and he, he respects the culture, too, to the point of where he, it's just a great, and a great resolution where they figure out, how can Riker turn this situation using, you know, his knowledge of Klingon anthropology into a situation where they're not going to blow each other up? And they do it in a very witty and very apropos to to Riker manner. And apropos to um, Picard, as, as you sort of mentioned earlier. <laughs> So I I I just love this episode from beginning to end. You know, the part with the with the um with the Star Trek calamari guy. Yeah, you know, okay, whatever. We need a B plot for it and that was okay. You know, I it, it got to play a little bit of uh maybe a little more Wesley than, you know, Scott would want. But it got to play the whole thing that Wesley was immediately took a shine to this guy cuz well, first he thought he was his friend. Because all of them look alike, and uh, <laughs> and uh, that's so racist. <laughs> I know it's Wesley too, Mister. You know, understanding kid. But um, you know, he takes a liking to the guy because he had his was friends with another one of this guy's race. So and it I turns just out this somebody, guy's kind of a prick. You know? I just no, no. I'm coming back to that. I'll let it slide for now, but I'm coming back to that. But I wish somebody in this episode had just one time go, "Oh, you goddamn Benzites look alike to me." Well, that's basically what he's. You know, they they diffuse it by having him say it, going, "Yes, well, we are from, we are from the same." 
Whatever. I don't know. I thought he was kind of a, you know, just kind of a pushy, you know, when he, you know, basically went around, made the rounds telling everybody how he was going to, like, um, you know, fix up, fix up all their shit. Oh, you're really, you know, buttering him up and then going, oh, you're really good, you know. Um, I can't wait to improve what you're doing. <laughs> you know, that sort of thing, you know. It can't, have, it, you, have you never been the new guy coming into a job situation, very eager beaver, and look around and go, wow, does this shit run ass backwards and, and just, you know. All the time, but I'll tell you what, when I first walk into that job, I keep my yap shut. When I well, my, you, you, my first too, few but... weeks at a job, I'm watching, listening, and because you can't tell when you're new on a job. Everybody, when you're the new guy, everybody's on different. You know, you're on best behavior. Other people are on best behavior, and it takes a while to figure out. You know that Picard likes to roll over and play dead, and that. But for a lot of people, for for a you know, especially young people, and I get the idea that this guy's fairly young. I mean, he he was only a what was he an ensign, I think. Right. You know, for a lot of people, you know, first-time job people and stuff like that. Or, they you know, overcompensate maybe and stuff. Well, not so much that is that that's kind of a learned response to, okay, if you're new in the job or new in the department or whatever, you know, shut up and, and, and watch and learn. You know, not so much don't, don't be quite the eager beaver because then you're going to step on toes and piss people off. He, this guy hasn't learned that yet. See, I'm very sensitive to this because for the past two weeks – at my job, I've been on something called deployment, which means I, I've been sounds um, so military. Well, it, it is pretty much. I mean, I've been I've um I'm trying to think of how to put this politely, but I mean, there's really no other way to say. It. I, I was forcibly sent to other locations, you know, at my job site to basically learn how the other half lives. You know, how how other departments do the same job that I do just in other areas of the resort, you know? And it was, you know, as a very educational experience, but at the same rate, it's a little bit intimidating. You're going into someone else's workspace, knowing your job and how you do it and, and having to both apply that, but also rein yourself in so that you're not stepping on, you know, you don't want to go in there and, and basically, uh, Be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know how this goes. And, well, not so much or, that is. Um, you know, our, our buddy Mike Bailey has a great analogy about people that come down to Georgia from from the north, and uh, they want to. How does he put it? Teach you how to brush so, your teeth and stuff. No, he has an expression he uses, which is a perfect. And it's like, uh, tell them how they did it back in Detroit or something to that effect. Oh yeah, well that's and everywhere. I, yeah. And I can appreciate that. That's kind of what Mendon is doing in this. Is he's coming in and and. I don't see it so much as he's trying to tell them how to do their job so much as he's just kind of an eager beaver. He sees an opportunity for improvement and he's trying to bring it to someone's attention. My ultimate point, my note for this part was Jesus Christ, be nice to the new guy. I mean, I realize that he's, uh, he's kind of annoying, but at the same rate, it's not well, like don't he's they, an asshole. Don't he's they pride just, themselves with their space tolerance and everything? They're usually so like they pay a lot of lip service to that, but they don't actually practice what they preach, which is it's becoming increasingly irritating to me. They preach tolerance all the time, but then we get episode after episode after episode where they meet the new alien race and they're a bunch of you know condescending pricks to them and this is a perfect example they treat him 
like a redheaded stepchild. And then they're, I mean, their racism, their flat out racism towards the Klingons is going to persist through all incarnations of Star Trek. They just, you know, here they, they're supposed to be allies with these guys, but they still are very much like, you know, they, they still make snide offhand comics. I mean, we even joked about when they do that in Generations. Right. Riker says it to Worf, who is a Klingon, you know, in Generations. There's that part where they're investigating the station that's all shot up and... and when they figure out, uh, or they're trying to figure out whose disruptor beams these were, and Riker says uh, it could be Romulans, Breens, or Kling. <laughs> I just smelled a fart, you know. And it's like, dude, you're you're talking to a. Kling. I mean, I would yes. love to see Warp just like smack him in the back of the head. You're like, hey, asshole. I'm right you know, here. It's like, yeah. It's just—it's funny. It's—it's both funny and uh, it's—you know—it's uncomfortable too because they're clearly in instances like like them, what they're preaching, and they're uh, not—you know—they don't have that evolved sensibility that they keep, you know, harping that they do. You know, keep uh, touting all the time. Anyway, I didn't mean to. (laughs) <laughs> to jump all over you. Just, I still I, I think he's to... a prick. Sorry. <laughs> okay, I didn't sway you at all. <laughs> he remind you know why? Because he reminds me of this asshole that came in to work at the Mexican restaurant that I worked at years and years and years ago. And this guy was about forty years old, and he was getting the dishwasher position, which is low man on the totem pole at the restaurant. But pretty much everybody at that restaurant started out as, as the dishwasher. And this guy came in, and he's like 40 years old, college educated. He was a, a German Im- immigrant and, you know, spoke English with a thick German accent. Very intelligent, but pissed that he was a dishwasher. But it's like, that's the only job that you get when you first walk into this place, you know, unless there's a desperate need for a position. But when a position opens up, it usually gets filled by the next person in line. And so, but anyway, the, you know, dishwashing is dishwashing. There's variations on what kind of dishwashing machine or sinks you have or whatever, but it's washing dishes. You have scrubbers and you have water and you have soap and you wash the goddamn dishes. But this guy had this whole method where he was taking plastic containers and making little filters to filter the water when it drained, and he was developing this whole efficient method of dishwashing, which meant that everybody completely changed around what they, you know, and he went around to each person was going like, well, now that I'm the dishwasher, we're washing dishes this way. And, you know, of course, everybody was like, oh, okay, and then just dumped the dishes into the sink just like they've been doing for the last, you know, five years. And we're like, hey, get the new guy. He wants us to pile the dishes in ascending order of, you know, this and, the, and the, you know, he has a map here for us. Ah, oh, that's cool. Let's uh, eat it, you know. Let's throw it in the fryer. And, and he just drove everybody nuts, like passively, aggressively trying to get him to do things his way. And he was a goddamn new guy. And that's what this Mordok <laughs> character reminds me of. 
I'm Mordot um, Kim. I'm going more, back I'm to Mordot Kim right back in the next Wednesday. <laughs> going back to Riker for a minute, though, um, it occurs to me that uh, maybe one of the reasons I, I really like this, and I and I'm really getting into those. Uh, the Titan novels that are coming out, you know, where it's, it, you know, Titan is, Titan is, um, Riker's ship, you know, post next gen when Riker has actually become, you know, his, his own captain and everything. Well, I think he's the best character in next generation as far yeah. as like who I would want to hang out with. If I was going to hang out with anybody, it would be Riker probably. You know, there's a, there's a thing in the Titans novels where Titan is essentially the first ship since the uh, motion picture era enterprise to really try to have a fully integrated and, and fully diverse alien crew, you know, so where it's not human centric. I mean, they've, they've got all kinds of crazy races on there, you know, water breathers and all kinds of stuff. And I kind of look back at, at this episode as uh, you can kind of see, Riker on that path, you know what I mean? He's he's learning that right here. You know, here he is immersing himself in a completely different alien culture just for the experience. I, I like that. You can see that there's a natural progression, you know, with his character, you know, with a with a stepping stone episode like this. And I, I like uh -huh. it a lot. This is really a great episode. There's only a certain percentage of people that are like that, you know. Mm-hmm. They're just like, I just want to do something just because I haven't done it before. Especially, you know, since it's something kind of unpleasant, you know. He's actually garnering his pleasure from learning, you know, not from. I mean, he was he's he was he was going to have sex with those Klingon ladies. I know he was. <laughs> I know he was. He was going to take one for the team. He really was. Yeah. No, he was going to enjoy that shit, man. He There's was, a, uh huh. He was gonna like maybe chew on some space garlic or something, so he wasn't gonna catch the breath. But yeah, <laughs> he he was gonna go for it. There's a number of really really good scenes with him in this. You know, starting with the phaser range, which both was really cool yeah. from a special effects point of view. But it was a nice interplay between between he and Picard, and uh, yeah, Picard knew he was gonna bite at it. You know, he was totally yeah, just sort of—he he was yeah. just playing with the moment. He was enjoying that. You know, he was sitting thinking to himself, "Oh, I, fifty quatlus at uh, Riker's going to be all over the." You know, that this <laughs> is his dream job. Yeah. Well, plus, you know, you, you said it yourself. You know, he's doing this because it's never been done. Riker says that in the episode. He's he's asked point blank, "Well, why are you interested in this?" He says, "Because no one's ever done it before." And he gives that smirk, you know, and it, it, it's really great. It's it, it's one of those classic, you know, kind of wise-ass hero kind of smirks, you know, like Indiana says, Jones has. Now, yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I really like that moment. I like that we're, we're really probably the most we've seen uh, of any episode so far of really the uh, you know, the burgeoning friendship between Worf and Riker. You know, we've seen them you know, have adventures together. We've seen them kind of sort of pal around a little bit. This is the first time we're really seeing them, you know, they're, they're buddies now, you know, they're, they're really, you know, well, after his experience out. on the ship too, he's definitely going to understand Worf all the more. And Worf is probably going to respect him all the more too. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, O'Brien even gets a, a little moment with Riker there in the in the transporter room. I like that scene quite a bit. You know, the the little exchange between the two of them. The the other thing that that really really works for me in this episode is uh, is Brian Thompson. I just like this guy. He's he's one of those. He's just bizarre looking for one thing. You know, he's got that that huge jaw and everything. Right, he right. just looks bad. You know, I mean, he's. Plus, he's played a lot of bad guys. I mean, he was that really creepy psycho guy in uh, in Cobra with uh, with Sylvester, Sylvester Stallone. Stallone. But uh, I always remember him. You know, the the first thing I ever saw him in, and always remember him probably best from, was uh, Terminator, because he's one of the the three guys. The bikers? when Schwarzenegger. No, when Schwarzenegger first comes from the future, you know, the Terminator first shows up at the Griffith Observatory. But, you know, so there's those punk kids that are at the observatory there and they're screwing around. One of them's Bill Paxton. And um, one of them's this guy, Brian Thompson. Then I don't know who the third guy is. I don't I don't think he's anybody that's famous today, uh-huh. but I, I could be wrong. I, I just don't recognize him as, you know, somebody that we know today. Well, Schwarzenegger, remember, he walks up and he's completely nude and he demands their clothes. And Brian Thompson, I think he's the one that Schwarzenegger punches right through him and like rips his heart out. I think it's him. Well, it turns out that's that was his very first screen role ever was as that punk in Terminator. And so I anyway, I looked him up real quick. On uh, on Memory Alpha, which is a really cool, real, really good uh, Star Trek site, I was right. His name was Clag, not the captain's. I don't know what the hell the captain's name is, but it's not Clag. So this book was dead wrong about the captain. Anyway, it says it says here it says he made his uh, big screen debut in 1984 with a small role in Terminator. And then one of the things I really like about this Memory Alpha site is any time that there are um, other like for example with this with Terminator in parentheses it has the names of the other Star Trek alums that are in the Terminator along with Brian Thompson so it mentions here it says w- with Dick Miller so Dick Miller played um, the news vendor remember that episode the big goodbye uh-huh where they go to the holodeck, oh yeah, and it's it's the the um, it's what do you call it, Dix, Dixon Hill? Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, he was the news vendor that when Data's telling about DiMaggio's uh, baseball hitting streak or whatever the hell it was, he's the the news vendor that was all like, you know, what's this guy talking about? Um, Paul Winfield, now, Paul Winfield was. Uh, well, he was on Next Gen eventually. He was in an episode, a really great episode called Darmok, which we'll, we'll get to that in a, quite a while from now. That's way down the line for us. He was also the captain of the Reliant in Star Trek II and, you know, Wrath of Khan. And it mentions one other name, um, you know, again, uh, from a Star Trek alum that was in the Terminator. It says Earl Bowen. And I was like, the hell is Earl Bowen? I didn't recognize that name, so I looked it up. He played Dr. Silberman in Terminator 1, 2, and 3, you know, the, the psychiatrist. And oh, I thought, well, right. when the hell was he in Star Trek? 
So I looked it up. You're not going to believe this. He was Nagilam, that the the space baby face killer alien guy that we covered. Remember in in Where Silence Has Lease? Yeah. So while he was so distorted, he was like just basically you could basically just see his eyes and mouth. You know, it was right? Like his eye. It was like one of those Conan O'Brien sketches where they superimpose right. the eyes and mouth. <laughs> well, no well, wonder you no- didn't recognize him. Yeah, I had no idea until I read this article that 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 was uh, Dr. Silverman. That freaks me out. That's pretty that's pretty <laughs> wild. Well, also I I was thinking I I never ever even considered this before. And I knew that you know Brian Thompson he's he's clag in this episode. Well, I also know that he was a Klingon in um Generations. He was one of the officers on board uh, Lursa and Bator's ship. You know the ship that uh, uh, Soren is hanging around on. Uh-huh. You know Malcolm McDowell. He was a Klingon on that. And I don't know why I never put it together before. That I, you know, I should have wondered: Are they supposed to be the same guy? You know, is it supposed? You know, because it's a Klingon and it's the same actor. But no, they are. They are actually two different roles. Which I'm glad. I'm glad he didn't die because you know that ship gets blown up. And I like Clagg in this. I thought he was actually a. You know, I like how he, you know, after Riker beats the shit out of him, yeah. then he likes him. You know, then they become fast friends. I thought that was actually pretty cool. That's how it works in Klingon land. Yeah, exactly. It was funny because I didn't think of it as a big deal to see the Klingons laughing in that until Riker said that. And then I'm like, you know, you're right. Mm-hmm. Although you do see Klingons laugh in uh, Trouble with Tribbles. It's it's a different kind of laughing though, right? It's more yeah. of just a taunting sort of thing, and this was just the horseplay. I liked that scene a lot. I liked where you know, he was just like, looked at the ladies. He's like both of them, <laughs> and that was the moment that you know, everybody started slapping him on the back. You know, the dinner scene in this could potentially be the best scene in this whole episode because. You've got a lot of comedy. You've got the yucking it up and the camaraderie. But the the part of it that I really like, the part of it that really feels like quintessential Star Trek to me, is where then you get to the quiet part where it's the kind of, you know, let's get to know each other moment where you start to realize that he's winning these guys over, that, that they're seeing beyond the fact that, you know, compared to them, he's just a puny little guy. And he's starting to see them as more than just the stereotype that they've always been. You know, the the evil, well, once you... stupid warrior race. You know, I, I love the part where the the one Klingon guy, and he, it's not Brian Thompson, it's the other guy, where he says, you know, I have a mother and a father just like you. They look like me, and you know, and and he's just he's saying very simple sentences, but the point that he's making is we're more than you've ever you know been taught that we are and i like well that. it's I, a very I, it's a very try it's a very tri- like tribal thing like it's but like in you know say you know you know how people have sort of maybe um uh romanticized like american indian culture you know from like back before when the white man came you know the indians lived in peace and peace with the it's like no the the like one Indian tribe, depending on what tribes they were, could run into another tribe and eat everybody in that tribe. You know, just right. just eat them all up. 
But sometimes they would just grab somebody. You know, they were kind of short on people, so they would grab somebody and torture and and put them through all sorts of hell and then accept them as a tribe members. And then all of a sudden it's, you know, it's peaches and cream. It's just like the old tribe you were in. Everybody's nice and joking around and, you know, making faces at dinner time and stuff. But you have to be an insider, you know. It, it, it isn't like that till you're accepted, till you become... And the Klingons are definitely an, an example of that. And and uh, Riker knew just what to do to, you know, to break the ice. He's that kind of, you know, and you need somebody with that personality in order to do that. You know, I don't think Kirk could have done that. I don't I don't think Kirk could have pulled off that dinner like Riker did. Even though I see a lot of similarities between the two of them, Kirk would have Kirk would have had to piss somebody off. Kirk would have had to one up somebody a little too much, you know what I mean? And I don't know, I agree and I disagree because on the one hand, the difference between Riker and Kirk in in this same exact situation is, is that Kirk enemies. has a pretty Yeah, he well, has yeah, a yeah, exactly. Yeah, he has a history with them. I mean, Kirk has a legitimate beef. They killed his son. However, well, I'm talking like before, you know, you know when Kirk was like like if if this happened in the original series and it was Kirk oh okay and, yeah it, well it was sort of like um, trouble with tribbles <laughs> sort of shows you how humans and Klingons eating together doesn't work out at that point you know I do like uh, you know Kirk how how you know one of my favorite uh, scenes with Kirk from the films is where he finds himself at a Klingon tribunal you know and yeah. and you know but he doesn't cower, you know, he, he's, he still stands tall, even when they're literally chanting for his death, you know, in the, in that courtroom scene. I think I always thought that was a pretty awesome scene. Well, there's a weird moment in this one. Um, I just want you to kind of make a mental note of this. Okay. The, the part, the part where, um, Clagg starts talking about his father and, you know, how he's disgraced and he won't go see him and all that. And Riker, two or three times, keeps coming back and making the same point, going, but he's your father. You know, and like he's trying to make the point of, you know, well, that's wrong. You know, you should have a relationship. You know, he's your dad. You know, you should, you should be close to him. As we're going to see shortly, that's a very strange thing for Will Riker to say. Right. Because granted that that's the, the episode I'm thinking of probably wasn't even a gleam in anybody's eye yet. But we're going to meet Riker's dad pretty oh, soon. And okay. They don't have, you know, a chummy relationship whatsoever. So this retrospectively, this is a very weird thing for Riker of all people to say to somebody because it comes across as comes across as a little bit uh, weird and hypocritical. I think. Um, just tying this all back around to the very beginnings of. Uh, Star Trek Monthly Monday for this month um, with my review of uh, of that Star Trek Enterprise novel that I did in the TOS portion of our show. Brian Thompson played the Romulan admiral who plays a very big part in that novel. He was actually a character from the TV show that continues into that novel, and and Thompson played that role as well. So he he was he's actually. Uh, 
you know, quite the Star Trek alum because he he played a number of different roles, a couple couple Klingons, couple of different aliens, and that uh, that Romulan uh, admiral on uh, on Enterprise. So he's he's been around in Star Trek. But it all ties back. There's our connection between the two that for for this month is uh, Brian Thompson. <laughs> I, you know, didn't Picard to you seem like he actually enjoyed getting the chance to surrender to the Klingons in that situation? <laughs> Seriously, though, the, I mean, I, when it got to that point, I'm like, oh boy, here it comes. But you know, he's sitting in the seat. He's sitting in the captain's chair right now, sporting a Woody because he gets to. You know, he sort of gets to not really surrender, but he still gets to go, I surrender, you know, we surrender. Which actually is the perfect, it's it's a great address, it, it, it sort of addresses the whole running theme of Picard surrendering, and, and it makes for a very good, tidy resolution to the whole thing. But I just thought it was funny how quickly he was, uh, and how number one was like, I know what I'll do. I'll ask him to surrender. He'll surrender. <laughs> <laughs> of course he will. Mm-hmm. That's what, that's pretty much Picard's, that, that's his number one trick, isn't it? Uh-huh. See, I imagine that there's going to be a day where, you know, Riker's in a bar and he's, he's had a little bit too much to drink and he's sitting around with all these, you know, aliens that he's just met and he's trying to impress everybody and He's telling his war stories, and then he tells about the time that he got Picard to surrender. And suddenly the conversation just dies where, one by one, all the aliens start coming forward with their, well, I got Picard to surrender story. And yeah, one of them's like, like the oh, well, that was in Jaws, yeah. Yeah, well, I, you know, I did it once, so well, I did it last Tuesday. Well, yeah, well, I did it with a butter knife one time. You know, it's like, you know. I did it with a spork. I just, I just, wa- I was just getting excited while I was talking and waving my spork in front of me. We were having some KFC and, and he just like went under the table and was like, I surrender, I surrender, put the spork away. I didn't, I didn't even know it was coming. You know, in Picard's defense, though, you know, he is French. So, they, you know, they, what do you want? Yeah, they do a good, they do a. I mean that is a great. I I like how that um, Riker got out of betraying either ship. He he got he got to hold up to his vows to both the Enterprise and the Klingon ship, and and not lose face with anybody. That was quite a an achievement, and and they pulled it off really well. I just can't I can't say how well this this is this is just prime Star Trek in any context, in the context of the original and the movies or anything. This is just, this is how you do a good, awesome Star Trek episode with all the stuff you want, you know. And it's got the Roddenberry um, you know, in the future we could we, we could even get along with the Klingons, you know. I think that was the big thing with Next Generation. It's like, look, we've even gotten to to that point with the Klingons, you know. I will agree with you with one exception. I don't like the captain in this one. The Klingon captain, I don't know what the actor was going for. I don't know if this is his natural diction and acting style or if he was trying to be weird or trying to be over the top. I don't know what he was going for. He doesn't work for me. He he has a very strange delivery through the whole thing. I think he was going over the top because I think his character would go over the top because it would be like, 
I'm gonna, I'm gonna put this guy through the, alright, we're gonna have an exchange program? Alright, I'm gonna fucking put this guy's feet to the fire. The right. second he steps onto the ship, we're gonna figure out who's boss and how this is working. And, and, it, and I mean, basically, Riker just got on there. He, you know, I don't know how long, you know, in real time he was aboard the Klingon ship. But you know that guy was gonna that guy was gonna give him hell constantly, probably until he left. You know, even if Riker had stayed his st- whole stint, that guy probably would have had to be a bastard and had to be over the top as a sort of show to his crew too. You know, to save face with the other Klingons of like, you know, it, I mean, it's got to be a little embarrassing to be the first Klingon to have a, a human first in command. You know. Right. There's probably other Klingons snickering behind his back, which is not of not where Klingons want to be. So I think that guy was a bit freaked out and on his, you know. But don't I've, you think the whole thing with, uh, you know, all right. So once they figure out that their ship has space herpes, then all of a sudden his natural conclusion is, we're going to go destroy the Enterprise. Ah! And I'm like, huh? How do you, how do you even reach that conclusion? I think all Klingons just wanted. I think at that point the Klingons would still just love to destroy the Enterprise. It, it, it's it's sort of like it's sort of like Castro to the United States. You know, it's like the Klingons. <laughs> I guess you know the Klingons have always you know right from the original series it was just always like ah the you know the, you want to blow up the flagship of Starfleet you know. It might start Klingon War, but that guy's going to die a legend, you know. He's going to be the guy who, you know, I, I think there was a little of that in there, you know, the of just like, you know, the the, the I think it was showing that the 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 friendship between the Klingons and the Federation was tenuous at best. Yeah, but you know? at the same rate, I mean, yes, these guys are, are you know, they got a real boner for, for war and, you know, today is a good day to die and all that. But, I mean, come on, are they suicidal? No, I but mean, they're be- paranoid and definitely having, you know, uh, you know, I, I could see them in, in, in the paranoid warlike mindset going, Earth first officer, you know, problem with the ship equals treachery. Although you could also see them when he was like, you know, what do you think they're, they're, they're you know, they're, they're putting me on the ship just to just, you know, to blow it up. You know, why would they put me on the ship if they could just put a virus, you know, when he applied logic, you could see the logic sort of sinking into him, but it really, you know, they're, they're a truly warlike, you know, breed. They really want to, they really want to go at it. And at the same time, I think a lot of the times they'll go at it even if they know they're wrong because that's their Klingon way is to go at it. And it's like instead of instead of going, oh, we were wrong, we're sorry, they're just looking for a way to save face, you know. They're going to go cannot- on the attack and then look for an out that they can take without looking like they, you know, back down or – and that's I mean, I what Riker did. I appreciate all of that. I, I appreciate all of that, but you know, there's a scene very similar to this in Generations, where you know the Enterprise comes in, the Klingon ship is cloaked, and and Soren says, you know, we don't have time for this. Just blow them up. 
And it's one of the, the women commanders that says, you know, well, that, that's a galaxy class starship. You know, there's no way in hell we can take them out. And Riker even makes sort of makes the point in this to the captain. He says, you know, well, you're only going to get one shot. And the, the captain, he just has this line that I, just makes me roll my eyes. You go, oh, we only need one. And I'm thinking, no, dude. <laughs> oh, he's definitely full of shit. Yeah, but yeah. I mean, he's he, he's putting, you know, he's puffing himself. They're they're puffing themselves up. That's their 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 way of life is all you know. Their hierarchy, their way they deal with each other is all warlike and combative, and you know, pecking order and survival of the fittest. So, so, so you're saying that you buy this this just bizarre turn with this with this Klingon captain, right? Yeah, I think it's I think it was him. I think he was overreacting with was going to overreact with everything because I I think it was like fundamentally I think it was pretty humiliating probably for him, you know. Klingons get humiliated. So, you know, they it's it's always true with the rough tough guys is they really they get their feelings hurt really easily. You know, rough, tough guys are usually always, you know, what'd you say about my mother? I'll kill you. You know, it's like, oh, your feelings <laughs> got hurt. You know, they're, and, and that's, the, that, that's the way the Klingons are. They, instead of, instead of going like, hey, what the fuck? You know, you guys betrayed it. You're putting this guy on our ship and now you're destroying our ship and stuff. It's like, no, kill you all. <laughs> kill them all. Go, go out in a blaze of glory. And, and, you know, I mean... There's always that, well, the Federation, you know, we're at peace with the Federation, but, you know, to, to any one single Klingon, you know, that's away from, say, you know, some sort of bureaucratic the arm of Klingons that are like, let's withhold the peace, would be like, throw it all away. That's our Klingon way, and the, probably the whole crew would go, rah! <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Right. Yes, it's it's sort of like uh, the red rednecks in a zombie apocalypse. You know, they're like, yes, okay. You know, if somebody said, <laughs> hey, we're gonna go out and target practice on some zombies, everybody, you know, a big whoop would go up in the. So I yeah I I I totally I mean I wasn't like wow this guy's great as the Klingon commander, but I totally I ne- I didn't see what you I didn't pick up what you picked up on with it of him being like. Over the top, I I picture I just, Klingons I just, in general as being fairly over the top. Yeah, you know? but I mean, there's a difference between over the top and okay. Now you're just being silly and making me laugh because every time, once he he goes crazy, because that's kind of how I see it is that he goes crazy. Once he goes crazy, every time he would he would holler his new you know his latest threat on what he was going to do to the it just made me laugh because i was because it just it really to me it came off as really really silly and i kept every time i watch this one i forget that he's not putting Riker on because i always have that moment of thinking okay this is a test he he's testing Riker. Mm. He you is, know, it, but he's not joking. <laughs> but he's not kidding, exactly. No. And, the, and the reason, or the 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 moment when I realize it is always the same. It's the moment where he gets beamed over to the Enterprise, and I expect that to be it. You know, I expect okay, that's you know, problem solved. We beamed him away from his ship, and uh, and Riker's going to come on the view screen. They're going to surrender. This is the end of the episode. But no, 
Then he pulls his pistol intent on shooting somebody. And that's when you come to realize, you know what? He really wasn't kidding. This asshole really believed no. that he he could fight the Enterprise. Oh, yeah. And that's where that scenario kind of falls flat for me. Really? Because I, don't, I, I, I think that's the... the, the the thinking to a Klingon that they couldn't fight the Enterprise is kind of wrong thinking, even if it's... Su being suicidal is not generally... I, I think it maybe it comes into play more as the Klingons develop more, but at this point, being suicidal is not a bad... Being a crazed, what? suicidal Ahab at the, at the head of your ship is not... Is is yeah? It's a it's a good quality in, in Klingon culture. Oh, in Klingons, okay. Yeah, two Klingons, not <laughs> you know, not in general, but you know, that's not. I, I think it would if if he had reacted like rationally and logically, he never would have been able to control his crew again ever. And 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 let's put it this way: let's let's think of the Klingons not as much as aliens, but as Hell's Angels, right? Who's the head of the pack of the Hell's Angels? The craziest motherfucker of all of them. He's crazy. <laughs> you don't fuck with him. You don't mess with him, because he goes, he goes crazy. Go cuckoo goes nuts. You know, you mess with him, and he starts his eye starts twitching, and he starts chewing the scenery, and throws his skull cap down on the floor and kicks it across the room, and he throws whoever's closest out into the vacuum of space, and you know, I mean that's <laughs> that's the way it goes. That was the guy, the you know the the guy who was the head of the biker club was the guy that everybody'd be like. Then there was a time where he took that grandma and he shoved her down the well and he tossed dynamite after her and then he pissed on her, <laughs> put her out. You know, I, what I, the I, hell are you talking about? The Hell's Angels. That, uh, I forget. I, I, I think you forget what you're talking about sometimes. I Hell's really Angels, Klingons. Hell's Angels as Klingons, Klingons as Hell's Angels. <laughs> I would highly recommend the book Hell's Angels by Hunter S. Thompson, where he where he pulled a Riker. It's this is actually Hell's Angels by by Hunter S. Thompson. I just realized Hunter S. Thompson was like, I want to write a story on the bikers. Nobody's everybody's talking about these Hell's Angels, and he showed up and was like, I want to join the Hell's Angels. I've got a motorcycle, and he's got like his boom boom, you know, classic old motorcycle, and they're like. Ha 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 ha! And he had to go there, and you know, I mean, your your jacket, your your biker jacket. They would take it. They're like, here's your. They would give him a nice clean jean jacket, and they'd put the patches on it, and then they would all shit and piss on it in a bucket, and you would leave it in the shed for a few <laughs> weeks, you know, and then you would take it out and you'd put the thing on and you'd wear it till it rotted off you, and that was, you know, they they. They reveled in, be, you know, being dirty, scroungy, you know, hooligans, Huns, basically, like, you know, ravaging, ravaging Huns. Or, you know, they take their food and they shove it in there. Ah, gah, 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 yum, yum, yum. And come here, woman, you know, and, ah, and eating a turkey leg. And that's what I always picture the Klingons as. They've developed themselves into they're like if the hell's angels actually took over the earth and developed it into a spacefaring culture <laughs> and bird of praise are just big harleys of the harleys of space i guess they're just not as loud as harleys <laughs>
You know what? In uh, in in Wesley's defense, which is not a sentence I plan to utter very often, by the way. Um, the guy that played the the alien dude in this one, what was his name? Mendon, Medak, whatever the hell his name was. It's the same guy that played the guy that Wesley thought he was. I figured that they did that, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's actually the same actor, so we, we can kind of sort of give him a little bit of a, of a pass on his I wonder if they, racism. I wonder if they did that because they had to mold all his makeup and they were just like, you know, it would be a lot cheaper just to get the original guy back and have his, his uh, shrimp Probably. suit fit. Him perfectly. Shrimp we will have to build another shrimp's shrimp with an inhaler suit for him. <laughs> an asthmatic shrimp. They're, yeah, they're totally space. That race is like the 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 stereotype space nerds. You know, they got their inhalers with them, and they're like, "Oh, look at all this technology! I know so much about it." <laughs> Let me help you here. He should add a pen clip to that thing. Yeah, the the, the IT guys of space. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, that's all I got for this one. I like. I really like this episode. This is one of my. This is going into my favorite Star Treks of all time. I was. It, it it's so awesome now at forty three years old. You know, to see a Star Trek for the first time and then see something and and it's a little. It's it's. It's a little bothersome too cuz I go, man, I never saw this before, you know? It's like it's like never seeing um you know um any you know, a muck time or something like that, you know? Right. I'm trying to think of one that's sort of a this I I, I think you're going to I think you're in for a pleasant surprise cuz there I think you're going to find a lot of episodes, you know, as we continue doing these that that are going to impress you and and well, there Probably are quite a few feel... that I have seen that have done that that are coming up too that I that I remember. But yeah, it, it's just really yeah. I, oh well, then I'm really psyched. See, I, I, I think you said before that you haven't seen the one with Riker's dad, and I consider nope. that to be a, a a really good episode as well. So you know, for for much the same reasons, you know, we we get a lot more Riker in that one. You know, we get further into his psyche, and uh, and I think that's a really good one. But that. That one's still a ways off yet. Um, next time, we've got. Uh, I, I, as I recall, these are both. Well, I know one of them is because I actually I watched it when I watched these two episodes. You know, after two really good episodes, I was kind of on a roll and I had a little spare time, so I actually watched ahead. So I watched the first one of our next episodes for next time, which is uh, Measure of a Man, which. Uh, I'll just say it right now. I think that that's going to be kind of an epic for us because I got a lot to say about Measure of a Man. Um, but I, you know, I'll, I'll save all that for next time. But I, I think that I think that could be a truly epic episode. And if if nothing else, it's probably going to be one controversial episode. Well, I know we've talked about this. Maybe we can set it up. But our our and. He'll be listening, so this will give us some time for him to... This will probably be the first he'll hear of it, too, is our old pal Biblio <laughs> Mike. We were thinking about bringing him on as sort of a moderator-mediator on this one. Not that we're going to fight on it, but, you know, to bring his Star Trek gravitas and philosophical 
angle into this one because yes it's a philosophical episode of star trek and mm-hmm. we haven't had him on the show in a long time so we need to have him on the show i miss having him on so yeah so biblio well, mike if you're listening which i imagine you are we'll talk absolutely our people absolutely. get a hold of your people <laughs> by by our people you mean me <laughs> okay. <laughs> Either you or me. That. Yeah. And the other episode for next time is a is an episode a Wesley centric episode called The Dauphin, which uh I think it's about Flipper if I, I was just gonna right. say, is that the one that Flipper's in? Yeah, Flipper it's a Flipper next generation crossover called The they Dauphin. They call him Space Flipper. Space <laughs> Flipper <laughs> He's mating with Wesley. It's getting real messy out there. Now we need to find the flipper music so you can go out on flipper, which I never thought would happen on this show in a million years that we would go out on flipper music. I wonder if I can find the, um, the stereotypical canned flipper talk. Oh yeah, I'm you sure. know, I I actually I Why actually Superman uh, going. Riz, 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 and <laughs> it was like, that's <laughs> like, is Flipper saying the exact same thing every episode? Because it mm-hmm. sure sounds like it. Goddamn Flipper! <laughs> What's that, Flipper? T- Timmy fell down the well. <laughs> How do you know? You're in the ocean. <laughs> Why are you dumb. bullshitting me, Flipper? Why are you lying? <laughs> that would be Randy. Why are you lying to me, Flipper? <laughs> you went to see Barkies. <laughs> All right, we're out. <laughs>You can sponsor an episode of this or any other of your favorite Two True Freaks affiliated shows. Simply click the PayPal link on our website, donate any amount at all, tell us which show you're choosing and what message, if any, you'd like us to read on your behalf, and you will be an official sponsor of that show's very next episode, with your message read in the show's opener. It's that easy, and there is no minimum donation. Be a show sponsor today. Anytime you plan to visit Amazon.com, please be aware that if you use the Amazon.com link located on our website, www.2TrueFreaks.Libson.com, Two True Freaks will receive a referral bonus for any items you purchase. There is absolutely no additional cost to you whatsoever for doing this. All proceeds go directly toward keeping new episodes of all your favorite Two True Freaks affiliated podcasts rolling and it really helps us out. So please, use our Amazon.com link anytime you plan to visit Amazon.com. Welcome to Amazon. I love you. <laughs> visit our website at 2TrueFreaks.Libson.com. 2TrueFreaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. Libsyn is spelled L-I-B-S-Y-N. You can email 2TrueFreaks directly at 2TrueFreaks at gmail.com. Join our forum at forumforgeeks.com, where you can discuss all of the shows on our feed with us and your fellow listeners. You can find 2TrueFreaks on Facebook. Just search for 2TrueFreaks. 
podcast. And hey, you can friend me, Scott Gardner, on Facebook too. My name is spelled S-C-O-T-T-G-A-R-D-N-E-R. You can friend me on Facebook too, if you can find me. Now available, Two True Freaks t-shirts. See our website for details. Two True Freaks is a very proud member of the Comics Podcast Network. You can check that out at www.comicspodcast.com where you can hear our new episodes when we put them up. We are also members of the League of Comic Book Podcasts. For more information, visit comicbooknoise.com league. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? Thanks for listening. And join us every Monday for new episodes of Two True Freaks. And this is your Uncle Don saying good night. Good night, little kids. Good night. We're off? Good. Well, that ought to hold the little bastards.